Welcome to episode two of The Diary of an Entrepreneur. I'm Danny Lacey, and right now I'm going through the pains of growing a business from the ground up. As CEO and founder of a video marketing company, I have the responsibility and accountability of having employed over 25 staff, servicing over 150 customers, generating revenue of over £2 million, and dealing with the stress and anxiety of growing a business. And as some of you may know, it is incredibly stressful, including times where we almost lost everything. This is the diary of an entrepreneur. All right, so in this episode, I'm going to be sharing my experiences of acquiring my very first client for Stardom Media, which is quite an interesting story, which just happened to be a well-known national brand. There's taking the plunge and hiring my first member of staff, and the feeling of winning our first six-figure client, which, by the way, was the catalyst for growth for the business, which was amazing. I'll be talking about the recruitment process and going from one to 13 staff at our peak, how I started to find new clients, and the pressure of dealing with our biggest project to date. So, let's get started with the Diary of an Entrepreneur. Right, okay, going to start with winning our first ever client. Now, if you're in business, um, you'll know that feeling well of the anxiety, the worry going into setting up your own business. You've made the decision, you've either uh, left a job or you're already out of a job, um, but you've not got much money and you're trying to find uh, that next thing, the thing that could bring the money in to put a roof over your head, pay the bills and keep the family happy. And so there's the whole kind of stress of it. So um, it's a, it's an amazing feeling when it actually happens. I'm going to share that uh, that story for you. Uh, but first, just a bit of context. So Stardom Media, we're a video production company. So what we do is we work with brands uh, of all sizes across the UK and agencies. In fact, we work with a lot of agencies, uh, but basically working as an extension of their team, uh, giving them the, the video offerings. Um, so we do uh, live action, we do animation, TV commercials, 3D, 2D, uh, live streaming. Uh, we even do audio production, uh, basically the whole video gamut. All right. We, we work with all sorts of industries. So we're very knowledgeable, lots of experience in all those different fields. And uh, we've built this up over time. I think eventually I'd like to niche in on something as the company grows, but uh, that's always been the plan. But right now we've not quite made it there. We're just, we're doing a lot of things for a lot of people and we're doing it really well. Uh, but eventually maybe we'll get there. So that's a little bit of context as to what Stardom Media was. Um, and so to, again, add a little extra context to so the plan, the, what was happening around this time of me winning my first client, uh, I, I was learning filmmaking. That was my thing. And if you missed, if you what, listen to the, um, first episode of Diary of an Entrepreneur, uh, you'll be able to hear a little bit more about, uh, this, this whole part of my life. But I was learning to be a filmmaker. I picked up a camera for the very first time and I was out filming. I was learning how to edit. And I was writing scripts and uh, just tons of stuff in the whole filmmaking. I wanted to know everything, basically. Um, But at that time, and it's around about 2008, 2009, video production started to become a thing. And, um, And so 
I was looking at my filmmaking, thinking that I'm never going to make any, well, I'm not going to make any money out of this for a long, long time, because who would hire somebody who's not even been to university or college to study filmmaking and, and hasn't really made any films in the past. So I decided that I was going to set up a video production company, despite not knowing a thing about video production, but that wasn't going to stop me ever. So I bought a camera, I invested, I think I remember rightly, I think it was about a thousand pounds and my wife at the time, going back a long while now, uh, wasn't overly impressed that I was spending some of our savings on a, a camera for this harebrained idea of setting up my own business. God forbid. Uh, but anyway, I bought this camera. And so I had it sat there. I had the editing software. And back in those days, it was on CD. It was a big box. Uh, Final Cut Pro it was, uh, for those that are geeky enough to understand. Um, and now I was sat there with all this kit, which was all lovely. And I'm spending money. Uh, but at the minute, not bringing any money in. So it was time to find clients. And this was the moment where I was literally sat at my desk uh, in my spare room at home and I was looking at the computer screen and I was thinking, right, crikey, now what do I, how, where do I find, where do I find new clients? I had absolutely no idea. And out of the corner of my eye was a copy of the yellow pages sat on the desk. All right. This was the days of Yellow Pages for anybody old enough to remember. So I grabbed the Yellow Pages and so I decided that I was going to um, find a hundred businesses within the Yellow Pages from all different sections and categories. And I was going to uh, call them, target them. And this was before this was before the day of, I mean, we had emails and stuff, but it, well, the, the communication digitally wasn't as popular. Back in those days, it was in person or on, on the phone. So I had, uh, it took me ages, by the way, finding a hundred targets, a hundred businesses to target out of the yellow pages or even online these days. It's a very time consuming thing, but I think it took me three times longer because I was procrastinating simply because I knew once I had the hundred uh, businesses that I wanted to approach to see if they wanted video, I just knew that that wasn't something that I was going to enjoy doing. Even though I'm good at sales, all right, and I'm not a bad communicator, I can, I can handle a conversation. I hate the idea of picking up the phone and cold calling. I just hate it. And I try and avoid it at all costs. And this is actually the only time I've ever done any cold calling. Uh, I've not done it since. Uh, I just don't want to. I hate it. So anyway, I had my 100 targets and I then decided I was going to write a bit of a script just to give me something to work from to make it easier for me to pick up the phone and start a conversation. So I had my script um, but again, hated cold calling. I was procrastinating, procrastinating, but then I just realizing that this kit is sat there doing nothing. It's time to hit the phones and it's time to make some money. So anyway, um, so what I decided to do was to, uh, to, 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 to make the call. And so I started on the list at number one. And then the first three or four were just an absolute nightmare. And to be fair, um, I can't blame them for being pretty mean on the other end. Cause I wasn't, it wasn't the best introduction to me or my business, um, to, uh, to be honest. So the first few phone calls that I made, basically, they were literally slamming the phone down. Not interested, scram, get lost, you idiot. Something along those lines. But by calls four and five, I was starting to see a pattern and I was starting to evolve my script, my patter. Um, starting off with saying something slightly different as opposed to the usual. Hi, how's your day going? Hi, sorry to bother you. The minute you say sorry to bother you, by the way, people just switch off immediately. So anyway, I changed my tact. I can't remember the script exactly. I don't have it on my filing system anywhere, but 
Uh, I just remember having a script and then tweaking it by calls four five. Anyway, I got to number call number seven, and this is no this is no word of a lie. This is the the honest truth. Call number seven. Um, it was just I, I I made the phone call. The guy answered the phone, and he was in his car, hopefully driving hands free, but he was in his car on his mobile phone. And I just, uh, I remember saying, uh, hi, my name's Danny. Uh, I'm calling from a company called Starter Media. And I'm wondering if your business would be interested in video. And that is as far as I got before he interrupted me and said, Danny, your timing couldn't be any better. I am literally on my way to one of my clients right now to talk about how we can improve our current services to them using, and you guessed it, video. Then things kind of twisted a little bit back on me. And he was, he said, he asked me a question. And I had no idea about the answer to this question. So I was thinking on my feet at this time, but he asked me, he said, look, I'm on my way to meet this client. I'm going to be there in about an hour. I need to know how much would you charge me for a health and safety video? Just you and a camera, half day filming, um, 10 five minute videos or whatever it was. I, I can't remember the exact. And I remember thinking as he's saying this to me, because he was going to give me a little bit of time to, to to get back to him. But I decided that I thought, you know what, I'm going to impress him. I'm going to get back to him pretty quick with a quote and hopefully we'll get the job there and then. And I can uh, I can celebrate our first client win. So anyway, I went in with a price. Just a number jumped out at me. I don't know why, but the number £450 jumped out at me for a huge, uh, pro- what was, ended up being a really big project. Anyway, he said, sold, done, deal. And, uh, and the, the rest, well, is, is pretty much his history. Anyway, he, I said to him, so who's, who's the client then? And then he told me it was B&Q. The, for those in the UK, you'll know who B&Q are. For anybody uh, around the world, that's a, a massive DIY chain uh, in the United Kingdom. And uh, so they're, they're a big, big brand. And we were basically filming their health and safety videos for the north of England. Um, and I was doing it for £450. But luckily for me... He went to the meeting, he gave me a call back and he said, look, we need £450 seems a bit cheap. And when you get your clients telling you that you're going in too cheap, then uh, that's definitely a client you want to be working with. So he got back to me and said, look, here's the full brief. Having spoken to my client, we've got a budget of around about, I think he said about two grand there or thereabouts. So that was nice for him to give me um, the budget that we're working with. So uh, just go away, give me a breakdown of what you can do for us and then just let's go from there. So um, it, it was just a euphoric moment. And to be fair, I didn't get any further than call number seven on that list. I never rang any of the other targets on that little uh, hit list that I put together from the yellow pages. I got in as far as call seven and that was my first client. And that was me. I was at the races and I was off and I was on my way. Anyway, learned loads off that first job, including that I had lots to learn, not just in uh, in the, the field that I was working in, the video production side of things. You know, I wasn't very good. The videos were okay but they were on the wrong side of average, I think, if, uh, if, if I'm honest. But it got us started. The client was really, really happy with it, so much so that they booked us in for more, um, for more work, and uh, it just kind of escalated from there. And the great thing is, and I didn't realise at the time, but the power of portfolio is really important. If you can show people future prospects and potential clients a good body of work, and at that time I had nothing, I hadn't created any videos. So whoever was taking us on as a video production company at the time were taking us on the on trust. Yeah, uh, this guy sounds credible. It sounds like he could do a good job. We'll go with it uh, because we had no zero portfolio at the time. So the B&Q health and safety videos, 
wasn't just great on a, wow, we've won our first client, but it was also the first step on um, putting a really good portfolio of work together, which makes the sales thing uh, a whole lot easier. Um, so yeah, lots, lots learned, some great memories, uh, in fact, on that. So the next batch of clients that came after that, I didn't do any more cold calling. I decided that I wasn't very good at it, even though I won, got that client, but that was just pure luck and timing. So I decided that I wasn't going to do cold calling anymore. And so I, I, I went very many other directions doing all sorts of things, including print. Um, we did email campaigns and all sorts. But the next batch of clients that I won that kept us going for the next year or two actually was through just my own network of contacts. Um, once people found out that I was producing videos, they were approaching me and asking me for quotes on videos for their business. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me at the time was just seeing what was in front of your face and under your nose. And it's the same to this day, you know, when we're trying to attract clients and we're looking at prospects and looking at acquiring new clients, we often miss the businesses that are on our own doorstep, as in, in our area within like a two, three, four, five mile radius. Uh, we're always looking further afield and out, out and about. And it's the same with, um, with this. So I, instead of trying to look further afield and beyond my resources and capabilities, I decided to look at my contacts list. Who do I know that owns a business or works for somebody in a business? And how can I reach out to them and get them interested in the, this product, this service that I was offering at the time? Uh, and that's what I did. And we ended up with maybe half a dozen uh, customers at the time. And for me working at home in my spare room, working with freelancers whenever I needed to work with freelancers was more than enough. And I was incredibly happy about that. Until a moment arrived in 2014, Christmas Eve, when I received a phone call um, from one of my previous uh, clients who wanted to talk to me about a TV channel for Sky TV for his business. And that changed everything. And we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, in this podcast. Next bit I want to talk about is hiring your first, um, me hiring my first member of staff for uh, Starter Media. Because up until that point, it was just me on my own, working with freelancers here and there when I, I, I needed to, but generally just me on my own. And that was it. I was doing everything. I was filming, I was editing, I was uh, doing the script writing, I was admin, doing all the accounts and uh, uh, account management, working with the clients, doing all the comms, just everything. And it was literally 15 hours a day. So winning our first six-figure client which was around about December um, 2014, meant that I had to, and we'll talk about that six-figure client next, but winning that client um, meant that I had to start hiring because there's no way that I could have managed this job on my own. It was just physically impossible and there was no way it was happening. And also the client would look at me thinking I was ridiculous. And so I had to guarantee that if we were to do this job, that we would hire accordingly and be able to service that contract. So... I was at that stage where I needed to hire, but I had absolutely no idea where to start with recruitment. So where to look, uh, how to write a job description, what the title of this person's job role should be, how much should we be paying them and, and all that. And to make it worse, I didn't even actually know who to hire because, you know, if you get me an open book and said, you can hire whoever, whatever, whoever you wanted, as many as you wanted. I, that wouldn't mean I could have hired loads of people, but I only needed one. I could only afford one person at this moment in time. And it was figuring out who to hire. So I had to start somewhere. So I grabbed my notebook 
Um, and I still work with notebooks to this day, by the way. Um, so I grabbed my notebook, which contained my ever-expanding to-do list. Um, I'm, I'm a stickler for doing this. I'll write, I'll plan a week ahead or I'll plan daily uh, and write down, jot down all the things that I need to be getting done to be achieving, to uh, get closer to my goals and to my vision in business. And then all those little tasks are, are added on there too. So um, I worked out what tasks I could outsource. I then categorized them all, put them into little piles. And then eventually I had a list of potential positions that we needed to fill. So there was some more admin type stuff like accounts and things, which could be easily outsourced to an external company. But then there was a whole batch of things that were on that list that I thought, wow, this would be really useful to have somebody in the business who could pick these jobs up and make my life a lot easier. Because I noticed that I was spending the majority of my time working on these uh, these these little tasks, shall we say? And I don't mean little to be disrespectful or you know to be uh, to to demean them in any way. There were jobs that needed done, and they were very important jobs. But I should be focusing on other jobs that I'm better at and stronger at. Um, so I decided that we were going to hire a production assistant. That was high on the list to help with project logistics because with this uh, six-figure contract, this job, there was a lot of filming, finding locations, dealing with freelancers, um, dealing with front-of-camera talent, and tons of other stuff. And I needed somebody who could deal with that. And so I hired a, a production assistant. And uh, the way I did that was uh, just simply sending out, I think it was a job description on something like indeed.co.uk, one of the websites uh, but also sending it, sharing it on Facebook. And I think it was actually from through Facebook is how I found the person that I hired uh, in there. I think it was their dad that found it. So we ended up hiring a post-grad fresh out of university, um, which meant that we could uh, we could pay cheaper. Now, I know you're going to listen to this thing. Oh, he's tight sod. Why is he not paying full whack, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we didn't have much money. I didn't really know how much we should be paying, to be fair, at that time. But I had to be really careful. So I thought it made sense saves me a lot of hassle and time thinking about it to just go in. Uh, it was over minimum wage, but it was, it was down the lower, the lower end, which you would expect in a postgrad position working in this kind of industry. So it wasn't like slave labor or anything. It was minimum wage and then a little bit, um, a little bit extra. So we'd sorted that out and, uh, we interviewed and, and this person was the person that I chose and, uh, they were the first hire for the business production assistant. And then it came to day one, which was pretty much three or four days later after we'd offered the, the job to this person. But they arrived in the office and we were working in an office at that point because the client had actually given us one of their rooms within their within their office complex, which was really handy. So day one, first member of staff arrives. And I tell you what, I had absolutely no idea what to do. It was literally as they were walking through the door that I was thinking to myself, crikey, I have to give them work to do. And oh no, uh, I haven't really thought about this. And I thought I could just wing it. I thought I could just do it on the fly and we'd just sit and discuss and, and figure it out. Um, but it didn't quite happen that way. I was pretty much, for the next couple of weeks, I was pretty much still doing all of the work myself and and still didn't really have a plan of how I was going to manage this person because I had to make time to get them started in the job and train them and, in, and do the whole induction process I know that now in hindsight, but at the time it just felt like it was going to, it was one of those situations where, and I'm sure people listening who are in business have been there. It was just quicker for me to do the job at the time. And that was a big problem for me. I just couldn't let go. I just couldn't hand or delegate over that work to somebody else and trust that they could get the work done to the standards that 
I would expect or I would do myself. They'd probably do a better job of it, to be fair. But still, I had this, um, I don't know, this egotistical thing, I guess, on, you know, this is the way it needs to be done. And I'm going to have to spend time training that person. I've got to work with that person. And by the time I've done that, I might as well just do the job myself. But what I was missing is if I spent a little bit of time in the early days, just training, working with this person, talking through how I want things to be done and how it needs to be delivered, just that one moment, that one uh, time dedication to, to properly train that person would pay dividends over and over and over again. But what I was doing, instead of just doing that and setting the foundations, I was literally just slightly, slowly, bit by bit, getting them involved in the jobs that I were doing that they were hired to do, but I was still doing them. And just slowly over time, they eventually took on a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. And I was doing less, a little bit less. Um, But in hindsight, what I should have done is spent a week just training, coaching, showing what I need to get done and just get on with it. There was very much a lot of me just throwing this person in the deep end and just saying, get on with it. And they, to be fair, did a really good job of figuring it out. And they ended up doing a much better job than I could have ever done. But in those early days, my man management uh, skills and coaching skills and nurturing talent and stuff were just terrible, awful. And also I was just too possessive over the business, too possessive. I didn't want to let go of anything. So that was a massive lesson that I learned uh, from day one, really, of, of hiring people is you need to you need to hire the best people you can. You need to trust that they're going to do the work. And you also need to dedicate time to explain to them what it is that you're trying to achieve with this job, this project, the role, working with the client, whatever the subject might be. But you need to dedicate time to that person to get them up to speed and then let them go. But I didn't do that. We were pretty much doing the coaching and training on the fly for weeks and weeks and weeks afterward, which I think caused bottlenecks. And it just wasn't efficient enough because I ended up um, doing most of the work myself, which, um, well, you learn, you live and learn. And then also all sorts of other things came with this first member of staff, payroll, right? So not only did I have the headache of how much do I pay somebody, we decided on minimum wage, but now I had to figure out how I was going to pay them. You know, I was thinking wage slips and things. Well, where do they come from? What what, what do I need to be able to get somebody a wage slip? And, and how much am I paying them? And how much do we pay to the to the, to the government, to HMRC, for PAYE and national insurance and all that jazz. So uh, obviously I got in touch with the accountants and we ended up hiring them to deal with all that. And but that came with added expense. And then there was all this information that I needed to, uh, to, to get from the, the staff, member of staff, to supply to the accountants to then enable them to set up on HMRC and whatnot. But it was just like a, a minefield of things that uh, I just didn't realise at the time. Uh, when hiring that first uh, member of staff. Then there was all the responsibilities as an employer. And remember, I'm still relatively young at this stage uh, and I've not really hired people before and and it was just all completely new. And I was definitely learning on the fly, um, which I guess is the best way to learn. But I also then realised that I have a whole new level of responsibilities as now an employer. So there's insurance. You have to get business insurance. What if they trip, fall, have an accident in your office and if you've not got the cover, you are in deep doo-doo. But it's not just the reactive insurance cover you need. You need to be proactive with that sort of stuff, making sure that the workplace is actually a good place for them to work, that it's safe, that it's healthy, and it's a good environment. Um, And again, stuff that I hadn't thought about before. So health and safety, working conditions, then there's the working hours and holidays and and all that jazz. And it just kind of starts to stack up. And the next minute, I'm now a HR person, and that takes up tons of time. So 
I was so used to working on my own that I just wasn't prepared at that moment in time to be managing somebody. I would often make up jobs for them to do in the early days just to keep them busy while I did the work that I'd actually hired them to do um, because at the stage it was just quicker for me to do it uh, myself. And it's taken me years, by the way, uh, to get away from because uh, we are, as, as entrepreneurs, I think it's a natural thing for us to just you know be clinging to everything. And it's not easy for us to walk away and trust other people to get on with with that role. Then started the monthly payroll and cash flow dance. Uh, even though we had this nice six-figure uh, contract and there was plenty of money coming in, there was also plenty of money going out in the other direction as well. So every time we got to the end of the month and it came to payday, then obviously I was counting down the days and making sure we had enough money in the bank to be able to pay the wages. But luckily back in those days, it was one member of staff, one wage, which wasn't huge amounts. But then when we got to 13 staff at our peak, um, it became a different a different type of dance. Uh, but anyway, the one thing that I definitely learned for sure is you cannot miss payroll. You cannot miss pay the knock-on effect of missing payroll. And we've touched wood, we've not missed it to date. Um, it, it could be devastating when you're talking about other people's mortgages, rent, bills, credit cards, family, and all that. So, uh, you know, added, added pressure there. In the years since that first hire, I've employed over 25 staff there or thereabouts and have learned loads uh, about the incredibly complex world of recruitment. And it is really, really complex. And there's no set way of getting it right. You're going to make more mistakes than you are get it uh, make you're going to make more mistakes than you are get things right that's just the way it is you know people interview really well but then they start work for you and then become a beast or a monster and they're nothing like they were in the interviews and that's the only really way really true way you can test if somebody's up for the job is for them to just do the job um so anyway yes going from one to 13 staff at our peak because we're winning one new client after another and after another i continued using my to-do list as my recruitment tool uh, the more jobs I was doing that weren't growing the business needed to get somebody in to do that. Uh, so recruitment had suddenly become a lot easier. Made tons of mistakes as well over the years. Grew too quickly in parts, taking on way too many staff. Uh, and then we got into a, a stage where we were vulnerable. If one of our clients uh, dropped us or if they weren't paying us on time, it meant that we were going to struggle with our monthly payroll. Uh, I've had to make redundancies uh, over the year uh, through, I think it was two, two main periods of the business that we had struggled and had difficult times. So we had to let people go. Uh, and then when we start getting up into the 10, 11, 12 staff, then you have to start thinking about a management team because there's only so many people one person can manage. And when that one person is the head of the business, who's growing the business and having to do all these other things, sales, marketing, r managing a team is really, really difficult. And I think there's definite teething problems when you get from one to three staff heading up towards five, six, seven staff. And then when you start getting into double figures, you then need to start building in that management team, people that can manage the rest of the team to allow you to do what you're good at. I didn't appreciate that at the time until I was up to about 11 staff. And then I had to start um, hiring people uh, with a more senior. And in the early days, I was always hiring people and paying less just because I was, I wasn't not because I was tight or I didn't want to pay anybody. It was just, I didn't think I had the money to be able to do that. But then I realized that paying cheap cheaper, um, actually ends up costing you more in the long run. So investing and spending a little bit more on better quality talent in the early days actually pays off dividends in the end. So again, one of those lessons that I definitely uh, learned. Um, I've only ever had to fire two people for underperformance in my entire business career, which is I'm happy with. That's not a massive number, uh, which is good. And the whole fire, uh, higher slow, fire fast. And the importance of this 
Um, I have taken way too long to uh, to remove people from the business, which can actually put the business at risk. So I'm a huge advocate of the hire slow, fire fast mentality. And um, I'm all about, So, and this is another interesting thing as well, is that I'm not a huge fan of the hierarchical org charts where you've got the CEO at the top, then your line of management, and then all the, the in inverted commas, the minions underneath and all that nonsense. I'm all about team formation. I manage my team like a football team. And I know that might sound stupid to think to, to some people, but some people will get this, that, you know, we all need to perform in certain positions within the business or within the football field and managing it. You have got to manage individuals uh, and the team as a whole. So individuals and then those individuals working as a team. So there needs to be some kind of team formation, team plan. And then you're dealing with personalities and having to change people around from time to time. So again, you know, you've got people like, I don't know, uh, some of the, the the bigger characters in the footballing world, for example, that uh, like the Paul Gascoigne's, you know, he was really difficult to manage back in the day, but he was a talent. He was really good on the football pitch. And it's that kind of thing. You know, there's people in the business that are incredibly good at their jobs, but then have bring slight technicalities and slight issues when it comes to the actual attitudes and stuff. And you have to do that whole balancing act and it's really, really difficult. So the whole football team, the team formation um, metaphor, analogy or whatever you want to call it, uh, works really, really well. We're in a team. We're all on the same pitch. All right. There's, uh, I'm not up in the, uh, up, up above looking. To, we're all in the same. We're all playing for the same goal and that's to win matches or in our instance, win new clients. So I'm a huge uh, that's that's basically how I manage the team. A little insight uh, there uh, into it. I've even got my, instead of having an org chart in my business plan, it's like it's uh, when you're watching Match of the Day and they, they're announcing the, the team and you see them on the pitch and they do the little um, uh, caricatures almost, then that's exactly how I have my team formation set up. So I know who's working in the business and uh, what position they're playing at. Um, and the long-term goal is to have enough of a team for it to be able to run itself without me being there. At the minute, we're at 11 staff and um, I, I'm still working in the business as well as on it. Uh, I'm not able to completely step away yet, but we're growing and heading in that direction. So eventually, maybe in the next year or so, I should be able to step away and the business should be able to run itself quite happily um, for however long. So um, so there you go. That's a little insight into the whole staff thing. Uh, it's thoroughly enjoyable. It's thoroughly, it's really exciting. Um, and a lot of lessons uh, we'll learn. So final part of the podcast is winning our first six-figure client, which was probably one of the most random things that ever happened because at the time that this happened, I was working from my office at home. I was really happy, earning just enough money to get by. We were paying bills and I put a little bit away. Um, but again, you know, I wasn't going to retire anytime soon. So I was happy. And I think I thought I could, could grow it to a decent size and earn enough money to yeah, uh, to run a, a lifestyle business, all right, without having to employ people. Anyway, this thing that happened changed my business uh, and life, I think, forever and put us on the path for growth. And it just goes to show you how important the power of relationships are in business because I got a phone call on Christmas Eve 2014 from a client of mine from years ago, somebody I had not spoken to for, for many years at that point, and we'd done a few video bits for them in the past, and um, anyway, this person was uh, putting this project together and they thought of me because of my background in radio and the filmmaking that I was doing and all the contacts that I was building up in the filmmaking thing. And they decided that I would be perfect for helping them to set up a TV channel on Sky TV. That's right. They thought I 
would be a good person to head and front up a uh, team to produce and build a TV channel on Sky TV for this client. And they wanted it all within six months. And what did I say? Not a problem. I'm in. We can do it. And that's exactly what I do in business. I always say, yeah, we can. And they know me as the yes man. So I was like, yes, I can do it. Put the phone down. And then it was like, crap. Now what am I going to do? But we managed to uh, figure it out. And so they wanted this thing done in six months. And we had to build a studio. We had to deal with all the technical aspect of broadcasting on Sky TV, helping build a team for the channel and creating a lot of the content within six months. Now, most people would freak out at that sort of thing, but I didn't. I actually I saw this as a challenge and I had every confidence that I'd be able to bring it all together. My biggest headache was quoting for this job, all right? I must admit, I massively underestimated the costs and I massively underquoted uh, for this, but I was desperate to win the work after the sniff of what I know was going to be, or knew was going to be a massive contract. And we've all been there in business. I've done it many more times since. You want the job, you want to work with that client, and you know you have to go in there, or you feel like you have to go in there uh, slightly cheaper. That's why I think I'm a, I'm the worst person in my business to quote for work, just simply because I have that emotional thing going on where I just want to win the business. And so I'll go in slightly cheaper to win that business. And that's not a good way of growing a business. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but back then I would always come up with a quote and instantly think it was too expensive before I'd even presented it to the client. So anyway, I was quoting for this job and I was getting into the £100,000 plus area. And it started, I started worrying that the client would think that this was too expensive and that they would decide not to go ahead with it. And then I would miss out on this opportunity. And I guess probably being a little bit naive and too nice back in the day was my Achilles heel. So there was a lot of negotiating on price in the end. Contracts were signed and away we go. We were on and suddenly big amounts of money were landing in my business account. And it was an amazing feeling. And I was celebrating. I was jumping around, running around the room, feeling like I'd made it and that this was just, you know, the best, best, best feeling ever. But then this led to other things that needed managing. Like now we have accounts to deal with because there were some significant numbers going into the bank, into the bank account and then going out of the bank account. And suddenly I became uh, an accounts person. So ended up having to hire in an accountancy beyond what we were already using uh, to the, to help us make sure that all the accounts were in order and we were also making tons of mistakes. So by the end of the contract, uh, there were so many mistakes that we'd made, but we did what we did, set, what we set out to do uh, by getting the client on air and on time. It might have cost us slightly more than we were expecting, but we still ended up making, it was still a profitable contract, a profitable job at the end of it. Um, but there were a lot of lessons learned. And in hindsight, if I could go back and do it all again, I'd probably charge the client twice what we charged because we were just massively underpriced. And the reason I shared that story, because not only was it a catalyst for growth for the business, very much a, a junction in where I was at business-wise, I had a decision to make. I could either do this and go all in and grow the business or just stick to working from my office at home. And the reason I mention that is because there's an, there'll be a lot of people that I know now in, in business and working from home listening to this who are at the same moment in their in their lives. And this is where you need to figure out whether you are a true entrepreneur, whether you are um, a, a self-employed person or a small business owner, all right, there's several things at play there. If you are an all-and-out entrepreneur, somebody who wants to build businesses, 
then you do what I've just done. You go all in and uh, and away you go. But then if you just want to be working at home with no staff, no headache, then you are that, you know, small business, self-employed person um, and, and avoid uh, the attractive nature of uh, those uh, bigger projects because with bigger projects come bigger responsibilities and growth and it's not for everybody. Um, but luckily it was for me and I was totally fine with it and I kind of ran with it and got away with it in the end and delivered a lot of value to the client, I um, believe. Um, but anyway, the contract ended after about 12 months and we decided that we wanted to uh, move on as it felt like we, like we had all our eggs in one basket and we wanted to spread our wings a little bit. We were getting inquiries from other businesses wanting to know about our video services uh, and so I just felt like it was time for us to, to, to move on. At this point, we had three full-time members of staff, one of which, by the way, is still with me um, to this day. So a lot of really great things came out of that. I think the biggest takeaways were getting a little bit overexcited about the the money, because I was looking at those six figures thinking, wow, and that this sounds like an awful lot of money. But to the client, it's not an awful lot of money. It really isn't. They were expecting numbers in that region, and they would quite happily pay for that. And I guess the vulnerability uh, from my side is, you know, the worry that it's too expensive because of that naivety, the fact that I've not dealt with figures like that before. And in business, I think we all have those moments. Uh, it may be numbers in the six figures, seven figures or 10 figures, I guess. But we all have that spike moment where we get that new client who's willing, who's got a big, big job for us that is going to be big books and is going to be the catalyst for growth for the business. And sometimes we're just not sure, you know, how to handle that one in the end. Anyway, there you go. A little extra insight into the world of building a business from the ground up. Going to do this uh, with every episode. The first few episodes is pretty much going to be looking back at the uh, where it all started. Because a lot of knowledge and experience came from those moments. And I think they're a really important part and really important to share, I think. Again, to just build that context for what comes or what is happening now in the business. And has certainly been happening over the last few years or so. So some big lessons learned, I guess, out of these experiences that I've just shared. Sometimes you just have to hit the phones to find those clients. You can sit there and bury your head in the sand, go to these networking events or uh, hit the phone, pick up the phone and call. You'd be amazed of the results you could get from that. It's not for everybody, I admit. I definitely hide behind emails and direct messages now and meeting people in person I'm fine with, but I haven't cold called since, but it did work. And you have to be a certain kind of person, I think, to do that kind of thing, cold calling. I hate it. Uh, nothing beats just getting out there and making things happen. Even if you don't think you can do it, give it a shot, have a go. Sometimes, you know, be honest and open with the client. They understand for the most part. I mean, I never told my B&Q client that I wasn't very good with a camera, but I just figured it out. And it worked in the end, so I was lucky. You don't have to be perfect or even great to start with. All right, get on with it get learning. Hiring staff is not for the faint-hearted, all right? You have to be well-organized. A lot of planning involved. There's a massive responsibility when becoming an employer, and you have to raise your game considerably. You've got a lot to learn, and you have to learn it quick. There's the financial pressures, too. Every month with payroll coming up at the end of the month, you've got to make sure you've got enough money in the bank. You've got to plan at the beginning of the month. It's, and sometimes it can be it can be really difficult and very, very stressful, especially when you haven't got enough money in the bank the day before payroll is due and you're waiting for two clients to pay you to be able to get you over the line. Been there a few times. It's awful. 
Your to-do list is your biggest recruitment tool. That's a big one for me, and that's with me to this day as I recruit. I use my to-do list as my biggest recruitment tool. What, I'm, what tool? What am I working on right now that I shouldn't be doing that somebody else could be doing? And I either outsource or hire accordingly. Quoting for jobs is really difficult, especially if you're offering a service like we are. Video production, quoting for it is really, really difficult because there's no set number. It's you no, know, it's just, it's almost stick your finger in the air type of scenario and so much more cool stuff uh, you need to demonstrate what value you can bring the client negotiating hard to start with always negotiate hard if they penny pinch then they're not valuing what you do for them and they're not the right client for you all right so don't rely on one client for your business as well that's the other mistake that i made in the early days we had all our eggs in one basket pretty much if that client would have walked had walked away from us we would have been in big doo-doo it's very dangerous as we found out in the 12 months after that six-figure client contract ended Felt like it was all going downhill at that moment in time, but um, anyway. And that's it. So listen, thank you for listening to this episode of The Diary of an Entrepreneur, an open and honest account of how I'm attempting to grow a video media business from the ground up. And I must stress, not trying to teach you anything. I'm just sharing my journey. And if it motivates you, then great job done. You can follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm all over social media. And if you want to reach out to me directly, please do drop me an email. My direct email address, this will land in my inbox, is Danny Lacey, L-A-C-E-Y, at stardermedia.co.uk. That's Danny Lacey at stardermedia.co.uk. Starder spell S-T-A-D-A. Thanks again for listening and join me on the next episode of the Diary of an Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur.